So if you've ever taken one of those 23andMe DNA tests or utilize those genealogy websites like Ancestry, you know they can be incredibly thorough. And the amount of information that's on there, it, it is stunning. But now those same outlets are being used as powerful tools to help solve decades-old cold cases here in the state of Michigan. At least three, as Charles Ramirez writes in the Detroit News, all of them more than 20 years old, had breakthroughs in the last year thanks to DNA and genealogy sites. One involved the West Michigan woman whose body was found in her home in 1987. A suspect was finally identified and charged in 2022. It is an incredible development and now a, a powerful tool in the tool belt for investigators that have been looking for the smoking gun, if you will, in a lot of these cold case files. Uh, Rachel Afline is the chief scientific officer for DNA Labs International uh, in uh, Florida. Uh, and, and this has become a, a huge uh, a help in the 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 journey to solving some of these cases. Rachel, it's great to have you with us. Um, talk to me a little bit about the process uh, that that you've seen firsthand and, and how investigators get some of this information that leads to at least some closure for these families that have been looking for it in some cases for decades. Yeah, so a lot of times they reach out to us and say, hey, I have this case. You know, we've kind of hit a dead end. We were able to get this great DNA profile, and it was uploaded into CODIS, which is the national DNA database, but it's just never hit after all these years. And we've heard about, you know, the Golden State Killer and really famous cases that have used forensic investigative genetic genealogy. Can we use this on our case? And if so, what do we do from here? So talk to me a little bit about uh, DNA Labs International, uh, which you do down there in South Florida. Um, Talk to me a little bit about your process. So we're a private um, family-owned business down in South Florida, but we work with law enforcement all throughout the United States. Um, and genealogy is actually just one tiny part of what we do. We work on homicides, sexual assaults, cold cases, all sorts of crime all throughout the U.S. And for genealogy cases, what's happening is usually someone's sending us a piece of evidence. So a lot of times if it's a John Doe or a Jane Doe, we might get a piece of bone sent to us or a laboratory's already tested it, like their state lab, and they're gonna send us just a little bit of the DNA extract. So it's just gonna be a little bit of liquid in a test tube and say, hey, can you do genealogy with this? We'll develop that DNA profile, and there's actually only two databases that law enforcement have access to. So that's gonna be GEDmatch or Family Tree DNA, and once we upload those profiles, we're gonna look and try to see if we can find any relatives of that individual and build out family trees from there and try to see if we can get an investigative lead for law enforcement. It seems like uh, this type of of uh, assist to law enforcement, it, it really became, it, it kind of came to light back in 2018 when they located the Golden State Killer. After all of those years, all of those victims able to use these types of sites, DNA, to, to, to track him down finally, uh, and 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 bring them to to justice. Um, how has this evolved over the years? Because I have to imagine that that as these DNA tests have become more readily available to people, more people are are willing to take these to to look at their lineage and their heritage. 
Um, how, how, but how has it changed from your perspective over the years? A lot of it is the technology. So it used to be, you know, very similar tasks to what people would do when you got, you know, an Ancestry.com or 23andMe kit for Christmas and someone has to spit in a tube and fill that tube up with saliva, that's very rarely the type of samples we're ever getting from crime scenes. So our samples are usually degraded, very small amounts of DNA. So the technology is developed in advance to where we can get the DNA profiles for genealogy from much less DNA. So, so that's probably the biggest advancement. So then when you get that little bit of liquid uh, and, and, and you get your hands on it, what do you guys do with it? So at that point in our laboratory, we're going to use a system called the Forensic Intelligence Kit, and that's going to develop 10,230 what's called SNPs. So they're single nucleotide polymorphisms. If you picture DNA just like a bunch of letters, what letter you have at these specific locations tells us a little bit about who you might be related to. So we're able to use that to build out these family trees and do genealogical research at that point. So that we're trying to identify your possible paternal and maternal relatives to build out that tree to figure out who that individual might actually be. Have you guys had to deal with privacy issues? Because that, that has become a bit of an, uh, uh, I guess, headline piece to all of this in, in terms of uh, whether or not DNA gets out there and the type of genealogy that, that then comes back and, and whether or not you've got innocent people that uh, come under the crossfire. Is that something that you guys have seen or had to deal with at all? Yeah, so for us, we're following the standards that have been set out for us. So we're only working with those two databases that have said, hey, we're going to work with law enforcement. And the profiles that we're accessing when we do that have been notified to the individuals in those databases with their terms of service saying, hey, you're opting in at this point saying, I'm allowing law enforcement to have access to that data. And then on top of that, we're going to confirm with what's called an STR profile. So that's like your DNA profile that goes into CODIS. We're not going to just, you know, rely on the genealogy. We're going to go back and confirm that DNA profile against our original evidence profile to make sure that we have consistent profiles. Well, I think it's incredibly fascinating. And and, and quite frankly, the, the, the part that you play in helping people find closure and 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 even maybe more importantly finding people that shouldn't be on our streets that have been able to walk around because maybe they committed crimes that that uh, were before we were able to use DNA and genealogy uh, able to bring them to justice I think is very important Rachel Afline uh, with DNA Labs International down in South Florida thank you so much I appreciate you coming to shed some light on this no problem thanks for having me have a good day yeah you do the same uh, Kurtz and Graham Blank, uh, he called in with, uh, you say that you've got a genealogy story that helped solve the, uh, a case in your family. What's up, Kurt? Yes, Chris, thank you very much. In 1972, my cousin Nancy was a student at the University of Hawaii in Honolulu. She was murdered brutally. They had DNA uh, samples, but they could never match them to anybody. They, they opened the cold case uh, about a year ago. And through 23andMe, they found a direct blood relative, which was the son of the DNA sample that they had. Ultimately, they ended up arresting a suspect that they, that they you know, spoke to back in 1972. But since then, he's just eluded the radar. He actually became an attorney. He was working in the uh, Nevada Attorney General's office as a lawyer. 
and he never would leave DNA samples, straws, cigarettes, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But we finally were able to. So he's going through the court system right now in Honolulu for this 51-year-old murder case because of 23andMe. And I, it, I mean, it's no very little solace for the family. Uh, I remember I was 12 years old when this happened, and I remember it well. Uh, but at least they are bringing the murderer to justice. Nancy Anderson was your cousin? You are correct. Absolutely, yes. Oh, my goodness. So, so uh, obviously so much time has passed. But when you got this news that, that it was this former deputy Nevada attorney general uh, and and kind of this person of prominence who who committed this crime. What was that like for your family? What what was what was that? What, what were the feelings? I got about thirty seconds left here. I'm so sorry. Well, the the family was really extended. So the Anderson family, there was nine siblings, and all of them are still living. Their mother and father have passed away since then. But just the the, the consolement and the solace for the family to know yeah. that finally justice is going to be brought to the person who did this. My goodness, uh, Kurt. Uh, 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 I'm sorry this happened to your family, but at least you got some closure. Uh, what a wild story. Thank you, Kurt. Appreciate it. Um, all right, we got to take a break. The U.S. Army Corps of Engineers has is narrowing their review of the line, fi- the line 5 pipeline. We'll tell you what that means next on JR Afternoon.